Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Well, good morning, Sand Hills. Um, at first service today, the temperature outside was 15 degrees. Uh, then it doubled for the second service, um, so it wasn't. It was still freezing. But I think I feel good about now. I think it's almost freezing right now. So. Hopefully you had a nice toasty entry today. Uh, some of us grew up in different parts of the country, though, so this is a little taste of what it used to be like. And uh, what I love about South Carolina is that it will be in the 70s by Thursday, I think. So, yeah, that's how we do it. Anyway, hey, uh, we have reached the end of 1 Samuel. We started 1 Samuel in April of last year, which means we've been in 1 Samuel for about nine months meaning we have given birth to Samuel. Uh, and so we're at the end of it now. And so we're going to wrap up uh, for Samuel. I think we're going to have some fun with this. But I've invited back some guests that we had from the last time when we first started this uh, series. And so why don't you introduce yourselves? All right. Morning. Uh, my name is Ben Noonan. I'm originally from Wisconsin. And so the kind of weather that we're getting today is actually kind of typical uh, for what we get uh, during the winter, but I've been in South Carolina for about uh, 10 years or so now. I teach Old Testament and Hebrew at Columbia International University and just love the, uh, the chance to be able to uh, show people the relevance of the Old Testament. And I'm Jen Doonan, I'm Ben's wife. I also teach Hebrew and Old Testament at CIU. <laughs> is your dean here? Is that I think here? he is, yeah. I, I, better be, I better be careful what I say. Yeah. Um, we are in the same field because we met working on our PhDs. Uh, we also have a daughter who's in sixth grade who was here at the second service. That's great. <laughs> it's good to see you guys. Thanks for coming out here. <laughs> Amen. Good. Sandhills, welcome. So, hey, guys, if you've been with us studying through 1 Samuel, I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I loved like the journey through 1 Samuel. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, just learning the whole thing. And so I thought it would be good then to just review. You know, I don't want to leave it too quickly. Uh, let's just review some things that we learned. If you're visiting with us for the first time, you actually picked a perfect Sunday to visit because you get the whole book in one shot. Uh, so you'll still, you'll probably want to go read it after this, but uh, this is great. So let me, let me just talk back just a, a big overview of what we've done. Uh, so we've covered so much ground. So it started with Elkanah and his wife, Hannah, who was barren. She couldn't have a child. And she begged God to give her a son. And eventually he did. He gave her Samuel. And uh, Samuel grew up to become like the preeminent prophet uh, of Israel. Uh, in the journey uh, of his coming to be, we, we met Eli, who was a very wicked high priest. Under him is two sons who were also wicked, Hophni and Phinehas. Um, we followed the adventures of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, we met Saul, who was God's gift to Israel, really, uh, because they had begged for a king, so they gave him Saul. And then we watched as Saul wrestled with whether or not he really wanted to trust and follow the Lord. Ultimately, we know that he chose not to follow the Lord, and that led to some disastrous consequences. Uh, we got to meet this young Israelite guy uh, named David. Got to see him as a young man do something that even people who don't go to church talk about. Uh, we got to see him stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with this giant of a Philistine uh, named Goliath and, uh, and take him out with just a sling and some smooth stones. Uh, we saw David uh, going to become a part of the king's court, uh, lived in the house of Saul, uh, became best friends with his son, Jonathan. Um, we saw King Saul as he began uh, to descend into depravity. Saul realized that David was going to be the next king, and so he decided to try to thwart the will of God by uh, killing David. Uh, but it is never good when you think you can battle a God and uh, change his plans. It never works. Uh, so anyway, he tries to kill him. So David goes and flees for his life. And David goes 
to hide in the enemy's place. He goes to Philistia and hides among the Philistines, while Saul would then go on to fight a battle with the Philistines, which we talked about last week, uh, which would lead to his, I was going to say untimely end, but it might have been his timely end uh, that he meets his end. Um, and that is all in 31 action-packed chapters of uh, 1 Samuel. All of it true, and all of it instructional, I think, to us as New Testament Christians. But before we jump into the, the rest of the journey and processing some of the cool stuff that came out of that, um, as, as we go forward here, uh, let's review just a few important things about the book, because I think this is really key. And you want to know this before you read a book of the Bible. Like, you want to know what's going on, what's the background, who wrote it, what's the date this is happening. Like, all of that will help you process correctly what was intended to be communicated, and then for you to begin to process what God might have in that for you. So when we think about a book like this, this is called First Samuel. So a couple of questions I would have immediately are, do they call it First Samuel because it was written by Samuel, uh, which is weird because he's dead by chapter 25 in here. Uh, and then also we have a second Samuel. So why do we have two of those? So why is it called Samuel? Who's the author? Uh, and then why is there a one and two? All right. Well, the short answer is we don't know exactly who wrote the book because it doesn't tell us who wrote it. Uh, it's called Samuel because he's one of the major characters and uh, there's a lot of things connected with him. Now, it may be that uh, he contributed to the book. Uh, Jewish tradition says that some of the prophets like uh, Gad and Nathan, they also contributed to it, but we don't know. Um, but regardless of whether we, we know or not who the exact author is, we know that what we find in the book um, that it's, it seems to represent like firsthand accounts, mm. uh, that these things are historical. Uh, we've got evidence of, of connections that it was written soon after, after these things happen. And so we know we can trust it because of that. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and ultimately we need to remember that the, the big author is God himself. Mm. And, and that's what's most important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but then in terms of the, the two books, Originally, they, they really were one book, one story, but because they were written on scrolls to begin with, a scroll can only get so big, and so they had to divide it uh, between them, so we have First Samuel and Second Samuel. Oh, okay, so that's just very logical then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like what you said too, uh, Dr. Noonan, just the idea that um, there's really just one author behind all of Scripture, and I mean, we know that, uh, but that's why you can have 66 different books written over such a long span of time, and yet absolutely cohesive, like how, how God is revealed, talked about his intention for making, like just unified the whole way through. So a beautiful picture of that. Now, when we study a book of the Bible, another thing we want to know is what is going on in and around the, the, the time that this was written? Like, so in what kind of setting was this written? Like what's Israel going through? What are some events of the day? Like, what do we need to know by way of setting of the book? Well, the beginning of 1 Samuel is coming on the end of the Judges period. And if you've read the book of Judges, you know it was really a, kind of a chaotic time, politically and spiritually. These people were doing what was right in their own eyes. They had a, this loose confederation of 12 tribes, that, but they didn't have a single leader, or when they did, it only lasted for a short period of time. Mm. Um, the other nations around them are also trying to get settled in and find their place uh, geographically, and so there's a lot of conflict. And so the people really do want, and they're not crazy for wanting, a leader, a king, somebody who can unify them, help them against their enemies, and so on. And we like to think, oh, those dumb Israelites, didn't they know they shouldn't be asking for a king? But that's exactly what they needed. They just didn't realize it was 
God the king mm. that they ultimately needed. I like your reference to, to judges about how everybody did what was right in their own eyes. One of the things I think we wrestle with maybe as New Testament Christians studying the Old Testament is, you know, does it apply to today? Can I, like, can I get lessons from this? Or do I just need to stay with the New Testament because I'm a New Testament person? But the thing I do realize is that scripture, by way of principles and God's intention, applies to everything. So you can ex extrapolate those principles. So even in today's generation where we're wrestling with maybe AI or uh, gender confusion or even the, the political election uh, about to come up here, like, like the scripture speaks, to that. the Old Testament has some principles uh, that apply to that. And so, mm -hmm. no, I think that's good. Like uh, the setting and what we're into is very, it's got its nuances, but it's very similar, I guess, historically. Uh, were you going to add anything, Ben? Or, nope, that's or, good. No? Good, okay. So, um, and then what? What about this? What about like the theme? What, what, if I look at 1 Samuel, what do I see as the theme that kind of flows through it? Well, going back to what Jen was saying about how the Israelites didn't realize that God was their king, the kingship of God, God's sovereignty is really the theme of the book of Samuel because it shows that God is sovereign over everything and he appoints people to be his leaders. Uh, he does that with Israel's kings. We have Saul and then David. But even with uh, we see like the priest, uh, Eli, that God appoints, appoints him. But God can also take that leadership away if those people aren't going to be obedient to him, if they're not gonna have a heart that follows after him, he will remove that. So that shows God's sovereignty that he's in control of, of everything. Mm, that's good. Okay. So, uh, well, then what about this? If we know the theme is that, then what about the purpose of the book? What was the intended purpose that the author wants us to know and understand? Well, again, if we're thinking about God's kingship, and that's kind of the main theme of the book, we see that the main purpose of the book is to show that God is ruling through, through his kings, kings on earth, and specifically through David, that God is David's chosen king. He's the one who he makes a covenant with. Uh, he anoints him. He makes these, uh, these special covenant promises to him. And we see that, that this is part of God's purpose even from the very beginning. Uh, the son of Hannah in uh, 1 Samuel 2 really emphasizes this for us, that God is going to rule through his kings, where Hannah, in this, this really beautiful poem, is praising God and thanking, her, uh, thanking him for, for giving her a son, he says you're the, the source of uh, deliverance, you, know, you make people alive, you make them dead, you exalt the lowly, but then she goes on to say that God will give strength to his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. So even before Israel has a king, we see that we're looking forward to that, that we're anticipating that. That's good. Yeah, and going back to, I guess, kind of what was already said, that God is going to raise up and use those who are obedient, but those who are disobedient um, run the risk of him removing them. And we see the contrast that's right from the very beginning, Samuel and Eli, where Samuel's coming to power, but Eli is declining, and you see that in their life, but then that's also in Saul and then David, where um, Saul is disobedient, God removes him, David is mostly obedient, um, <laughs> but God continues to use him and bless him in that. Well, one of the things we talked about when we were having a private conversation was uh, that God doesn't really need a perfect person, but he does need a person with the right kind of heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's good that he doesn't need perfect people or else, you know, 
Uh, <laughs> but the good thing is if you have the right kind of heart, meaning that God could use kind of a schlub like me if my heart is towards him. And I, I, I want to I love him, grow, learn. Uh, as New Testament Christians, we understand there's a, a belief in Christ required. But, but like this whole thing of what God wants to do with me. And I think that's, I love that idea that like it's the right kind of heart for the right kind of person. Otherwise, you end up with a Saul who's uh, rebellious and spiteful and mean and destined for separation from God. And David, who, though his struggles, has a heart that's inclined towards the Lord. Um, one of the conversations we had leading up to today was there's so many beautiful stories, uh, great stories, real people, real events, real things that happened in First Samuel. And I asked you guys to pick a couple of your favorites. And uh-huh. so what is one of your favorite stories? And when you say, share the story, I want you to set it up. Give us a little bit of the context, uh, what's going on in the midst of it, what do you love about it, and then maybe what's something we can learn from it. All right. So it's, it's really hard to pick favorite stories because there's so many good ones in the book of Samuel. But I think for me, one of, the, one of my favorite stories is the story when the Philistines bring the Ark of the Covenant into the Temple of Dagon, into one of their, one of their gods. And just to give a little bit of a backstory there, uh, the Israelites were losing battles, they were, they were being defeated, and so they thought to themselves, they had this great idea, um, because as we talked about last service, right, maybe they had seen Indiana Jones, so they know the way that the Ark of the Covenant works. <laughs> you bring it out, it shoots these beams right, out, it right. kills people, yeah. <laughs> They're like, let's bring this in the battle because if we do, then we're going to win. We're going to defeat our enemies. And God's like, I know what you guys are doing. You're trying to use this as like a a magical object, a talisman. And, you you know, you're trying to manipulate me and use me for your benefit. I'm I'm not going to play around with that. So God allows them to be defeated. And what happens is the Philistines capture the ark and they bring it into the temple of their god Dagon. And it's a really neat picture of God's uh, authority over all even these pagan gods because you see that uh, the, the, um, the statue of the god Dagon falls down before the Ark of the Covenant. And even the Philistines realize, like, hey, the God of Israel is not a god that you want to mess around with. They realize that he's sovereign over their gods. And it's just a really powerful picture. And ironically, that's something that the Israelites completely missed. Mm, that's good. Um, for me, I picked many to choose from, but I picked the story of Abigail, um, and a little bit of backstory for her is um, David is running for his life from Saul, and he's gathered around him a band of warriors, and they're kind of hiding out, living off the land. And this guy named Nabal, who we learn is a fool, um, but very rich, has is about to do some celebrating, and David would like to participate, maybe get some supplies and get protected. And he sends word to him and says, oh, and by the way, I've been protecting your shepherds and your sheep as we're out and about, so, you know, this would be an appropriate exchange. Well, Nabal says, nope, not going to do it. Uh, Nabal's wife hears of it and says, oh, that's a bad idea. So she, on her own, collects some stuff, um, supplies and things, goes to David, which shows a lot of courage just generally, but in that culture for a woman to do so, a a great deal of courage and wisdom, confronts David, says, here's some supplies, listen, don't do what you you think you're going to do, because he wanted to wipe out Nabal, he was so angry, he's like, here's what we're going to do, you know, here's some supplies, don't wipe out Nabal, it's not just bad for us, it's bad for you. And so he listens to her wisdom and her courage. He respects it, and he he averts tragedy in doing so. And incidentally, Abigail's wife dies soon after, and David says, you know, I liked her so much, I think I'm going to marry her. Mm -hmm. And so it's a great uh, 
ending to that story. Yeah, no, it's a great, yeah, a really weird Old Testament love story, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, love story. Uh, yeah, so for me, I think one of my favorite stories is what I've called the Wicked Witch of Endor. Uh, she shows up in chapter 28. And for me, it's kind of a parfait of a story. It's got several layers. And I think for me, some of the foundational layers, one is, even though Saul is not pursuing the Lord, he's not walking with the Lord, but he has outlawed all witchcraft, necromancy, uh, all that stuff through the, throughout the kingdom. And yet, because God won't answer him, that's what he wants, is he wants a medium who can speak to the dead on his behalf. So he dresses up in a disguise, and he goes to, to find this medium, this witch, who can speak to the dead. Uh, now, so the premise, of course, he's already outlawed it. Now, he's secretly sneaking in to speak to her, and... Um, None of this stuff is real. Like, one of the great things about saying that you can speak to the dead is you can lie. And you're like, oh, you're like, oh your relative is speaking to me now. They're saying, you know, she can just make stuff up. And this is the kind of person she was. The only thing that changes that is either the power of man that's introduced or uh, the power of the devil can sometimes get involved in witchcraft. Or worse still, God shows up. And that's exactly what happens. So they go, they're having this meeting. He says, I want you to bring up for me the prophet Samuel. I want to speak to him. And so she does her thing. Oh, Samuel, come speak. And Samuel shows up and it freaks everybody out. And she's like, oh my gosh. You're like, nobody's ever come before, you know? And uh, who are you? You're Saul. Oh my gosh, you lied to me. And he's like, settle down, settle down. What's he saying? And Samuel's like, oh, I got some things I want to say. Uh, and so Samuel shows up and he's like, okay. Saul, you're an idiot. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how do you think you're fighting the will of God? Let me tell you a couple things. One, David is still going to be king. And second, you and your sons will be dead tomorrow. And I mean, you're talking about like, well, thanks for that prophecy. That was great. Uh, so like, it's just an incredible story to me. But what it reminds me of in the midst of this is that God is always in control. So God is working his plan. People are trying to work around it. They're trying to work in it. Uh, either way, God's sovereignty, his providence are well known. And it reminds me too that for us, not the Saul's of life, more the David's of life, that obedience is our privilege. I, now, I think you could say our responsibility, but, but I, I think our privilege, like it is a gift when God invites us to partner with his program, to step in and join him in it, because he's going to be doing it no matter what. You just get a chance to either be a part of the solution like David or a part of the problem like Saul. Um, so now, which brings up a good point. So now we're Christians, so we're New, New Testament. A lot of time has gone by between this story and uh, the birth of Christ and uh, death and resurrection. So how then do we as Christians read the Old Testament? What do we do with these stories? Because uh, it's not really clear instruction, like therefore, uh, follower of God, now you go do, or, but there were some laws, and, but now we're not under that law. And so how's that, how's that work out? Well, particularly for the book of Samuel, we're talking stories. And for stories, you know, they, they are descriptions, not prescriptions. This is not a matter of, hey, this is what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do. Um, just because it's in a story doesn't mean that it's supposed to be done. Uh, but ultimately, the story, the main actor is God. And that's where we need to keep our focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe it's good for us to just be reminded that we need to avoid something that we probably often do as Christians. When we're reading stories in the Old Testament, we look for moral characters that we can, we can imitate. Somebody like David. Okay, David was a great guy because his heart was repentant even when he sinned, and God used him, and God even used him to defeat Goliath. And so maybe God will help us today to defeat our giants you know, that's the kind of thing that we typically do. But we need to remember, like, like Jen said, that God is the main character of the Old Testament. 
And that's ultimately what we need to be looking for. He's the one who it's about, and we learn about who he is, what kind of a God he's like, and yes, he can conquer, conquer enemies, he can defeat giants, um, but those are the kinds of lessons we need to draw more so than, oh yeah, I need to be like David and not like Saul. Yeah, and I think that's why I've tried to use this phrase, uh, lessons learned, as we've talked about how to apply some of these things. Um, and I want to go back to the David and Goliath story, which I think is great. So there will be times in your life where you have this big thing in front of you or a person in front of you, event or something you've got to confront. And you're thinking to yourself, I feel weak, I feel small, but... I've read about David and Goliath, and maybe in this instance, I'm David, and I'm going to go, yeah, so the thing we have to be careful of doing is saying, well, therefore, since God did that with David there, he will therefore do it with me. What I like is, um, years ago, we had an elder that served at Sandhills, and he said, you know, I hold God's, God's will like this. Uh, I can't hold it like this because I don't really know it. Uh, I just know what he's revealed, so I have to hold it like this, meaning in this circumstance, perhaps I'm the David. Because when I read scripture, what I realize is he's the kind of God who shows up and overcomes the big and the evil with the small and the faithful. And so because he's that kind of God, I'm willing to put myself in that position and realize that if he comes through, that's just the kind of God he is. But if he doesn't, I still release him to do his will. It literally may be his will that I take a stand and I don't prevail. <laughs> I don't come through this okay or whatever it would be um, because I have to submit myself at the end of the day to his will. And so again, lessons learned. We can learn about the character of God, the kind of God he is, uh, but we're not gonna find prescriptions uh, for what he wants for us in a particular circumstance. Uh, now, we as New Testament Christians have a perspective that they didn't maybe fully understand at the time, but this book does come in the context of salvation history. When we talk about salvation history, what we mean is God's work of redemption for mankind uh, since the fall. And so it has been God who's been doing the work. Where does Samuel fall in the line of salvation history? Well, if we look at salvation history as a series of acts in a play, for example, we have things like creation, the fall, we've got Israel, we have Jesus, we have the new creation at the end. And so um, first and second Samuel would be in this time of, of Israel. But keep in mind, we're still in the story. This is all part of our story. This is part of what God is doing in history. And we need all of it. We need to understand from beginning to end where we fit in, where Saul and David fit in, and, and where ultimately we're heading. And again, it's an important reminder for us of uh, the importance of the Old Testament. So I, I like Lord of the Rings, so I gotta get a Lord of the Rings reference in, yes, I suppose. Of course. But think if you tried to just read the very last book, The Return of the King, without having read the first two. You're gonna be completely lost. So the Bible is all one story. The Old Testament is an important part of that. And what we find in 1 Samuel, as, as Jen said, we're in the, uh, the Israel part of the story, that, that particular act. And this is important for a number of reasons. You know, one, because we find uh, God making a covenant with David, which is a really big deal, um, because God is doing something big when he makes covenants in the Bible. But we also see that he is bringing to fruition something he promised, something that he intended from the very beginning. We see that he gives Israel a king. And kingship is something that God intended from the beginning because he makes humanity so that they can rule on his behalf. And it's, it happens in a particular way in Israel's king, uh, but it's, it's promised throughout the Pentateuch. And sometimes we think that the Israelites were just asking for something that they shouldn't have been, but this is part of the purposes. And so we see God's character, 
we see that he's being true to his word, which is really encouraging to us. Mm-hmm. Amen, amen. Well, then how would you sum up then? What's your big takeaway uh, for First Samuel? Well, we like to look at heroes and idolize people and that kind of thing. And um, it's a reminder that all of our human heroes will fail. Mm. Um, but God does not. That he is faithful throughout. That he is the one ultimately in control. And he's also ultimately good and loving. Good. And he's the one we need to look to. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Ben, you have anything you want to add? Yeah, and if we're looking to God, then we just remember that he's the one who's in control. And that's kind of hard, at least, at least for me, to, to remember sometimes. Um, but it's a good reminder uh, that I'm not God, that he is. Uh, it also releases a lot from, from me. I don't have to worry about a lot of things. But I need to trust him, uh, even when I can't see that he's at work necessarily, or it may not seem like he is, just like he was in the life of David, uh, even the life of Saul. We know that he's at work. Amen. Yeah, for me, I think... Uh go back and piggyback off your Lord of the Rings comment. Uh, So I don't know if you've read the books, the Lord of the Rings, you should. Uh, If you haven't read the books, you've seen the movies, hopefully if you haven't, you should. Uh, So the thing about the Lord of the Rings that I love is very quickly you realize there are two groups. There is a good group and there's an evil group. And the evil group is legitimately evil. (laughs) They're just some bad dudes. Uh, And then there's the good group. Uh, But the good group of people, I mean, they're barely hanging on. And evil is so powerful, so strong, so overwhelming. Uh, And they're they're small. They're disjointed. They're trying to figure things out. They've got this one little thing (laughs) that they're holding on to that they hope will uh, somehow lead to their deliverance. Um, And then at the end of it, at the end of the movie, suddenly things flip around. And all this evil, this grand evil is defeated in a moment. Uh, Good prevails. Um, Great things are done. Like there's just this this hero epic. And I, I, when I look at that, I think that's, Tolkien is really seizing on the story of creation. Like, that's how it is. That's how it was here. You're looking at this, and you're thinking, oh, man, what's going on? And Israel's being defeated, and, and David's been chased away, and he's in hiding, and, like, what's going to come of that? And then you're going to see that there's going to be an ultra, ultimate redemption of that. Um, or I think if we had been uh, followers of Jesus during the time he was on earth, we would have felt like the cross was the biggest defeat. Like, oh, no, it's over. He wasn't the one, or it didn't work. He was the one, but it didn't work. And, and where is God? And then on the third day, he walks out of the tomb, and you're like, oh dang, we won. We are, he was the one. It's great. Everything's great. You know, so like this whole story of creation, I think it's the story of the New Testament church, that this little thing that isn't going to make it and everybody thinks it's silly and like, and then, you know, it prevails or even us in our own lives. Like it's such a struggle. I don't know what I'm doing. Where is God? I feel so broken. Um, and then this great victory that he works through Christ uh, in my life. And I think even the story of history, if we read Revelation, and maybe I should teach on that next, <laughs> just this whole, this idea that it, the whole culmination of it looks like evil's winning. The whole world's turned away from the Lord. And then in a moment, everything turns around. Jesus is victorious. We're with him in paradise forever. Evil is gone forever. You know, all this great stuff. So I really think that when we look at this, 1 Samuel is just a microcosm of all of that that's going on. Uh, and so, which I think logically now leads to, we need to talk a little bit about 2 Samuel because that's where we're going next. It makes sense since it was one book anyway. So as we think about 2 Samuel, there's a lot of things going on. For you, why is 2 Samuel important? Well, for one thing, I think it's important to get the rest of the story. If we were to end the sermon series with uh, 1 Samuel, it ends on a pretty depressing note, right? (laughs) Defeat of Israel, suicide of Saul, those kinds of things. But we get to see that there's a good ending, uh, that God institutes his king. So that's an important thing. Um, But we see that this portrayal of kingship that shows up in 2 Samuel, David's not perfect, 
Um, but there's this ideal that's set up. He is the ideal king of Israel. And when he fails, we have this expectation that someday, at some point, somebody's got to come along and make things right, to actually fulfill this role of being a king perfectly. And that points us to Jesus. He's a, he's a picture. He foreshadows Jesus in that way. Good. And within that, and, and relatedly, uh, God makes a promise to David, uh, a covenant, and says, I will bring a, a, one of your descendants to the throne who will reign forever, and he will be that ideal king. And so this promise of, of Jesus right there and the importance of that and the importance of God's love and grace because he does it basically without strings attached. He just says, this is, this is how it's gonna be. And so we get a, a glimpse of God's heart for his people and how much he loves them in spite of everything. Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. Is there anything else that sticks out for you in Second uh, Samuel that you're looking forward to or hearing about? Um, I mean, I like how the book comes full circle. I mentioned the song of Hannah at the beginning and this, this declaration of how God is sovereign and he rules through his anointed. Well, interestingly enough, the book comes back to that at the very end through songs that David sings in uh, 2 Samuel 22 and then also in uh, chapter 23. So similar kinds of things where he's praising God for, for being sovereign. Uh, he calls God his rock, his fortress, his deliverer. He's the one who gives him victories. He shows this unfailing kindness. And uh, David is praising God for that, similar to the way that uh, Hannah was praising God at the very beginning. And so hopefully remembering that God is in control, you know, we're, we're emphasizing this theme, we come back to it at the very end. Hopefully that prompts all of us to worship as we go through the book too, just as we see that, you know, as, as Hannah says, there's no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. I mean, that's, that's so true. Amen. Yeah, and for me, I think seeing David's heart, because David is held up as the, the ideal king, not because he's perfect, not because, I mean, he and Saul both made some big mistakes, but, but the contrast between the two is that when David made mistakes, he came back to God, he repented, he confessed, and he was still trying to seek God in the midst of it, whereas Saul did, did not, and so to see that... Um, come through. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you're looking forward to 2 Samuel as much as uh, I am. Um, just a few things people might want to know, because somebody was like, are we going to stay in the Old Testament? Um, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to stay there for a little while. Um, 2 Samuel is a shorter book. It's only 24 chapters. Um, if it took us nine months to do the first book, it will be a little bit less on the second. Also, I'm not sure I'm going to do every chapter of uh, 2 Samuel. I'll do a lot of them. I may not do every one. Um, but there's some huge events that we want to cover, and I think you're going to love uh, the journey through 2 Samuel, at least I hope. Now, uh, so now that you know that, go ahead and start reading 2 Samuel. Now, we're gonna, not going to start it for about three weeks. So next week, I'm going to do something different. Uh, it just seems like um, maybe there's a topic I, I just feel like maybe I need to be covering in the church. Uh, and so I'm going to talk about next week about the topic of marriage. Um, I'm at a place now in my own life where I've been through various phases. Uh, started with a single guy, <laughs> desperately lonely, uh, wanting to get married. Uh, we're going to talk about God's plan for single people and uh, either remaining single or as God prepares you for your spouse. Um, and then what it looks like to be a young man. Uh, as now you're starting your family and what it, what's it look like to raise kids and how's that kind of thing work. Uh, and then I'm in a later stage now where I've launched now my children
children, and uh, now I'm dealing with adult kids uh, and aging parents, which is also a part of that. And so I thought maybe we'd just uh, pause and talk about marriage next week. It's going to be a big cookie to bite into next week, so I'll do the best that I can, but I think there'll be something for everybody, singles, uh, marrieds, and former marrieds uh, as well. So hopefully we'll have fun with that. And then we're going to take a couple of weeks to talk about God's plan uh, for the church. That is, what does God value in the context of bringing us together in a community? And then after that, we'll roll into 2 Samuel. Uh, Let me pray for us, and we're going to close our service. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege today just to pause and talk about uh, what you're doing in this book of uh, 1 and then 2 Samuel. Um, Lord, you are sovereign over all. Uh, You're the God of the now, the God of the ever-present. And you've been so kind to us to reveal your character and your will through the scriptures. Uh, We are in a a wonderful age where you have uh, revealed the Messiah, and we now know who he is, and you have grafted us into the vine. And so we celebrate that uh, with our belief in Jesus. And Lord, we would just pray that as we go forward, you will continue to nourish our souls with your good word and sustain us in Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, before you leave today, if you'd like prayer for anything, just come up to the stage afterwards. One of our elders will be here. Uh, the doctors, Noonan, will also be up front if you'd like to talk to them or ask them any questions. But other than that, you're free to go. Thank you.